This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? We have two cards this week. Ron Hassey, card 458, catcher slash DH for the Chicago White Sox. And Ron Hassey, card 46T, catcher slash DH for the Oakland Athletics. All right, another two-card episode, another White Sox player. So glad for that. And with the Sox in the playoffs, we know it's very timely. Normally, we would do follow-up on previous episodes here, David, but instead, we'd we just had a kind of a phenomenon in the Major League Baseball playoffs that, that showed up on the air last night that we wanted to talk about. Because it does hit the very particular Venn diagram of baseball fans and Broadway musical fans, and that, and that you, David, are right smack dab in the middle of that intersection, we needed to talk about what was going on before the White Sox-Astros game last night. On the telecast prior to Friday's White Sox-Astros ALDS Game 2, there was an intro video, you know, to to get the fans pumped up for this White Sox-Astros game and for the ALDS and NLDS generally. The theme was musical theater. (laughs) Yeah, it cuts in. it, It shows the scene on Broadway. And then it went on for like four minutes. (laughs) And then there was like, there was some Hamilton style rapping about baseball. Then Kristen Chenoweth shows up. Yeah, for each of the four teams that were playing last night, at least the four teams that were playing on on the two games that Fox was showing, they had a different Broadway musical style introduction of their town and their team. I'm not a big fan, but I knew when I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, this was someone's really big idea. Broadway is back and baseball is back and it's a high concept show. But David, out of all of the Major League Baseball fans currently in 2021 America, what percentage of them do you think knew who any of the actors were or recognized the styles of performing going on there? Not many. And I think... I didn't recognize any of, aside from Kristen Chenoweth at the end, and that's that was the only person I recognized. I don't know if those folks were in, uh, like, I didn't watch the Tony Awards. You know, I, I think of the people watching this White Sox game, like maybe me and my mom and sister were the only people who <laughs> were in the middle of that Venn diagram of people who care about musical theater and the Chicago White Sox. But clearly... You and I weren't the only people who thought this was weird because it was all over baseball Twitter. And then you, we just went to try to find the video and it looks like MLB has deleted the tweet. <laughs> yeah, they have ceased and desisted their own video, which is, I think, which shows the fan reaction. I hope for tonight's games, David, that they could continue this or maybe what, what, what style do you think they should go for tonight? Can we get this like in the style of uh, like an 80s sitcom? Mm, yes. Perfect Strangers. Alf. Alf. We could, 
you know, I think you could hit a couple keys. So you could do some, so the 80 sitcom is one. You could also have one of them being Dune. That's now <laughs> out in theaters. And the other being uh, a James Bond uh, takeoff. So I think between Alf, Perfect Strangers, <laughs> Dune, and 007, you've got uh, perfect, uh, perfect baseball material. Yeah. Wh- who, which current baseball player is Maudib? <laughs> who would be riding the sandworm? Can we, I, unfortunately, he's not in the playoffs, but can we get Shoei Otani riding one of the makers? Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I don't want to give at Tim Briggs here too many ideas about a <laughs> about a future stars card of Shohei Otani in the setting of Dune. Um, I think, and also that's a pretty high level of difficulty. Uh, but maybe it will st- it'll stir some ideas up. Yeah, one of those Project 70 cards. Somebody needs to figure out a Dune. I, and I'm sure that there's like a name pun that I am missing. Is there somebody named Duncan Idaho playing in Major League <laughs> Baseball? That being said, oh, I'm very excited to see this new Dune movie, Denny Villeneuve's new Dune. Uh, I Maybe I'll go watch the... Maybe it could be in the style of David Lynch's Dune, but... Mm. Uh, mm where it's just a, a beautiful mess and for some reason Sting is involved. I would not put it past MLB to like bring Sting in <laughs> to do a musical introduction. Well, that is, that's great. We will look forward to that. And if that does happen, we'll tell you all about it on next week's show. In the meantime, we're here to talk about Ron Hassey. Why did we have Ron Hassey this week? Matt, I was very excited that the White Sox are in the playoffs. When this recording comes out, I will be at, guaranteed rate field to watch game three of the ALDS. So as we speak, the White Sox are down two games to none. So hopefully they will be starting a resounding comeback in that ALDS series against the Astros. So I will be at the game very excited. And so I was excited to talk about a White Sox player who never played for them in the playoffs (laughs) and who I don't really even remember playing for the White Sox. But I do remember this card very distinctly, and his name has come up on a couple of previous episodes, both in the Neil Allen and Ron Kittle episodes, and he had a very unique career, many teams, trades, some World Series appearances, not with the White Sox, and a place in the history books. I think he has a future, he could he could start a show getting sassy with Ron Hassey. <laughs> So, you know, let's get sassy with Ron Hassey reminds me of the sassy, sassiest boys sketch on SNL. I don't know if you recall this with uh, with Phil Hartman <laughs> as the <laughs> so sassy. If he had had Ron Hassey on there, he would have oh. said Hassey. So, so sassy. Senior sassy. Ron Hassey, the mayor of Sassy City, which is the capital of Sassy Land. You know, you'd throw right in there would be Nebraska Senator Ben Sass. He's, That's true. He could have an ent- entire Sass caucus. I I love this idea. Uh, I love the idea for this show. Uh, it'd be a really good one. We'll try to find some sassy audio here to drop in. Did somebody say sassy? <laughs> okay, let's get the ball rolling. Our topic is sassy, and I have to ask Christian, what makes you so sassy? Well, you know, clean living and dirty thinking. (laughs) 
Sprechen Sie sassy? <laughs> How about you, Joey? What makes you so, oh, I don't know, sassy? Whoa! 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 <laughs> I just stepped in a big pile of sassy. <laughs> Ron Hassey's name has come up a couple of times in previous episodes, so in the Neil Allen episode and Ron Kittle. Let's go to the front of 458. This is a great-looking card. Uh, there's a lot going on. You've got Ron. He's maybe standing behind the batting cage. He's holding a bat. His mouth is slightly agape. Yeah, there's definitely some tobacco in there. He's got a bat. This is a one of the more relaxed cards not really posed, not an action shot, but just kind of like a a candid pregame shot, sort of like the Burt Blylevin hanging out in the dugout picture. This is a pretty good card. Yeah, you can see some fans in the background. He's wearing the C, the script C, White Sox hat and script jersey. That style was worn from 1987 to 1990, and 1987 was Ron's last year with the White Sox. We talked about the large collar jersey on Thad Bosley in the early 80s, the use of shorts in the 1970s. The White Sox were also the first team with batting practice jerseys, which they wore in 1972. Other teams kind of took up in years after that. And in terms of jersey history, they also were the first team to have names on the back of jerseys in the 1960s. After the 1959 World Series in 1960, ownership looked at it and said, we don't know who any of these guys are. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it would be easier if you had names on the back of jerseys. But Ron here wearing this this hat that I don't love that only lasted for three years between the block letter socks jersey and the now iconic black and white White Sox hat. Not every fashion experiment is a hit. This one's somewhat of, a, somewhat of a miss, but it's interesting to see them be so experimental and so avant-garde. As we flip to the back of the card of 458, Ron Hassey, designated hitter and catcher, 6'2", 200, left-handed batter and right-handed thrower, drafted in the 18th round by the Indians in June 1976. Born February 27th, 1953 in Tucson, Arizona, and a home in Tucson, Arizona. 18th rounder. We haven't had... Have we had somebody that low I don't recently? Think so. I don't think so. I think that's a, a record so far for the show. We'll go back and, and look. Ron was drafted a couple times, but finally signed with Cleveland in after that 1976 draft, the 18th round of that draft. As we go through his story, it is kind of surprising that he dropped that low in the draft. Ron was born in Tucson. His dad, Joseph Bill Hassey, played in the Texas League for the Pampa Oilers and the Sweetwater Swatters Mm -hmm. in the 1940s. Ron was born in 1953, and around that time, there were about 45,000 people in Tucson, Arizona. Now there are 540,000 people. Huge Mm -hmm. population growth in Arizona over the last... 70 years. Ron's family is kind of sports royalty in Tucson. I found an article that had a list of the 10 most prolific sports families in Tucson, and the Hassey family was right up there. Aside from Ron, he also had a brother who was a very good racquetball player. 
as well as his dad who played in the minor leagues. And then Ron had a son who also played played professional baseball. Ron went to Mansfield Junior High. This is all in the Pima County Sports Hall of Fame. So I got even down to junior high information here. At Mansfield Junior High, he played on the city championship baseball team that posted a 12-0 record, then went on to Tucson High School. Tucson High School was built in 1906 and was the oldest high school in Arizona. It is now a technology, visual arts, and performing arts magnet school located next to the University of Arizona. But back then it was... um, I think it might have been the only high school in the town, in in the city of 45,000 people or so. In 1956, so when Ron was really little, Tucson High School had the largest enrollment of any secondary school in the United States with more than 6,800 students. Oh, man. A huge high school. I I mean, I went to a high school with close to 3,000 people. This is more than twice as big as that. Yeah, but, my high school, my senior year had 220, but so it's... <laughs> 6,800 people. That's Holy cow. That's a pretty good-sized college. Ron went there in the late 60s, early 70s, and in 1972, he played on the state championship baseball team at Tucson High School that had a 24-0 record. He was drafted out of high school in the 23rd round, but instead, he didn't go very far away. He went to the University of Arizona. Also in Tucson right near the high school. Uh, we've talked about Arizona State and Oda B. McDowell and, their, and Ken Phelps and their great baseball teams, but this is their in-state rival, the Wildcats. At this point, Arizona State had won three College World Series. University of Arizona had won zero. They were coached by Jerry Kindle, who himself had played in the College World Series. He also played in the, major, in the majors for the Cubs, Cleveland, and the Twins. He would coach at University of Arizona from 1973 to 1997, winning 860 games over those 24 seasons. He coached a bunch of major leaguers, some who we'll talk about in this series, Terry Francona, Craig Lefferts, but also Scott Erickson, Trevor Hoffman, J.T. Snow. And he also sort of coached Kenny Lofton. I went on a brief diversion into Kenny Lofton's history here because he wasn't listed as one of these players who who played for Jerry Kindle, but he went to the University of Arizona and was drafted. But he was more known for his basketball skills. He was on a basketball team that went pretty far in the tournament and then also was a walk-on for the baseball team as a junior. But he only played five games and had one official at bat for the University of Arizona. That's pretty impressive that he was drafted in the 17th round anyways and then went on to such a long and productive baseball career. So unfortunately... Kenny Lofton is not in this set, so we can't dig in more. But uh, I I was interested and went on a brief diversion into Kenny Lofton history. We will allow it. We'll leave it. We'll leave it in. (laughs) So Jerry Kindle, who had that great coaching record, is in the Baseball Coaches Hall of Fame and the College Baseball Hall of Fame. And Ron Hassey helped him get to his first College World Series title. But Ron started as a third baseman. By the time he gets to the majors, he's a catcher. But he was a third baseman, hit 421 as a sophomore. As a junior, hits 330 and is drafted by the Royals in the 22nd round. So, you know, not a high draft pick, but the Royals wanted to switch him to catcher. Huh. How come? I mean, they had a pretty good third baseman at the time in George <laughs> Brett. George Brett? <laughs> Probably didn't have space for 
a guy coming out of college to play third base, maybe thought there's more of an opening for a left-handed hitter as a catcher. And not a ton of left-handed hitting catchers, as I think we discussed on the Matt Noakes episode. But rather than sign as a 22nd round draft pick, Ron decided, if they want to switch me to catcher, I may as well take a year in college and learn how to play catcher. According to Ron, he said, I think scouts know I can play third base. If I can show that I can play catcher too, that will just help me more. There aren't too many catchers who can hit left-handed. So he's both helping his career future potential and helping the University of Arizona make school history, winning their first College World Series title. He was an RBI machine in college. He had 240-some RBIs in his career. He still holds the single-season and all-time record for RBIs for the University of Arizona and is still regarded as the top catcher in Arizona history, according to a 2018 NCAA survey. So 1976, his senior season, the team went 51-16. and 16. They knocked out the Ken Phelps-led Arizona State <laughs> University Sun Devils in the semifinal of the College World Series, defeated the Bob Welch-led Eastern Michigan team to win the school's first title. And Ron was named to the All-Tournament team and the All-American team. And an interesting tidbit here, Ron would go on to be Bob Welch's personal catcher for some of his best seasons with Oakland. Ron ends up being selected for four different USA teams and was captain of the USA team for the Pan Am Games in 1975 and takes that success into the 1976 draft. We have discussed this draft. The first number one pick in that draft was Floyd Bannister, a bunch of Arizona State players, also a bunch of Hall of Fame players, Alan Trammell, Ricky Henderson, Jack Morris, Wade Boggs. The Tigers picked three Hall of Famers that year in Trammell, Jack Morris. They also picked Ozzie Smith, but he didn't end up signing for them. So this is a really good draft. Ron falls pretty far. He was an All-American, but switching from third base to catcher, he didn't really move up that much from a 22nd round pick, only moves up to the 18th round. No shame in going that late in what's a pretty good draft. Cleveland also picked a catcher in the first round, a high school player named Tim Glass, who never made it higher than double A. So they held off on picking an All-American catcher. Ron ended up making it farther than their first round pick. He really did, and pretty quickly. So he played 22 games at single A, got promoted hitting 306, and played 21 games at double A, hit 279. Just a year later, 1977, he's hitting in the 290s at AAA. So he ends up getting all the way through the minors, and in 1978 gets a chance to prove himself early in the big leagues. Right away, gets a hit in his first game. The first pitcher he faces is Dennis Eckersley, and he got a hit in his second at bat. In his fifth game, he got his first home run off Nolan Ryan. Unfortunately, <laughs> he hit only 203 in May and June and gets sent back down to the minors for some more work. He ends up having a great year at AAA. He hits 323 with 12 home runs for a 957 OPS in 72 games at AAA Portland. And then in 1979, he's back at AAA, hits 338 in 48 games and earns himself another call-up and does much better this time. Yeah, looking at the line on the card for 1979, 
75 games, 223 at bats, and 287 average, and 32 RBIs. And he goes into 1980, and Ron has perhaps the best season of his career. He's second on Cleveland with 3.8 wins above replacement. He hits 318 with eight home runs and plays in a career-high 130 games. That 318 average was the highest among all catchers, and he had the sixth-best wins above replacement among catchers. He didn't qualify for a batting title, but if he had had enough at-bats, that batting average would have put him in the top 10 in the American League. Cleveland's around 500 at this point, so they're you know not the worst of the worst Cleveland teams. Going into 1981, Ron's average fell off a bit in that disjointed strike-shortened season. But he was a part of history on May 15th when he caught Len Barker's perfect game. And the rest of that season, he did well. He led the American League, throwing out 56% of runners who attempted to steal. The, the problem was he was splitting playing time with 1981 All-Star Bo Diaz. Each of them played around 60 games. And Hassey really just didn't like this situation, saying to reporters, I do think you need two catchers, but I don't believe you can platoon the two catchers through a whole season and win. The position's too important to switch guys in and out. And so at the end of that season, Bo Diaz is traded to the Phillies. But Hassey continued splitting playing time in 1982, this time with Chris Bando. Hassey hits 251 in 113 games. He followed that up with a 270 average in 1983 for a 92-loss Cleveland team. And in that season, Hassey was called out by his manager, who said, Hassey has a lot of ability, but he's complacent. It's his makeup. He doesn't look like he's eager to do anything. When he isn't in the lineup for three or four days, he doesn't come to the ballpark for early hitting. With all the money there is in this game, you would think you would want to go after it. Yeah, you you kind of get that complacent look from the card where he's just kind of... He's, he's got that look where the manager you, you'd think was going to come over to him and say, Hassie, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. Like my manager at the restaurant would always tell me. You know, my manager at the restaurant, the other thing was uh, counters are for glasses, not asses. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Ron had had success and hitting success particularly for his whole life. He was a great hitter in college, you know, hitting 420 as a sophomore in college. Maybe he never needed the extra practice. At this point, he does show a little bit of inconsistency, and particularly if you're platooning, maybe you do need a little bit more time in the cage to keep getting those reps. And if you look at the back of his card, there are some inconsistencies in his batting average, seasons where he hits over 300, and then the next season he hits 230. And as a left-handed catcher, there probably was a lot of money out there. He got some of it. Prior to the 1984 season, he signs a three-year, $1.5 million contract with Cleveland. Yeah, and then a few months later, gets traded. We get to a huge moment here, June 13th, 1984. A huge moment in Chicago sports history where the Cubs, in a blockbuster trade, acquire Ron Hassey. Well, yeah, among other things. <laughs> among other players. <laughs> Cleveland sends Hassey, George Frazier, and maybe most importantly, Rick Sutcliffe to the Cubs oh, in exchange yes. for Joe Carter, Mel Hall, Don Schultz, and Daryl Banks. Sutcliffe would go on to win 16 of his 17 decisions, earning the NL Cy Young Award, putting the Cubs in the playoffs for the first time in 39 years. Hassey didn't play much 
He only appeared in 19 games. The Cubs had Jody Davis starting and playing well, so they didn't really need another catcher. Ron only played seven games as catcher, a few at first base, including July 4th, when he injured his knee requiring surgery in a in a game at first base. He ends up missing a month of that season, comes back in September, but did not end up playing for the Cubs in the playoffs, and then requests a trade after the season. He sees that he's kind of blocked behind Jody Davis. And as we've seen many times, David, if there's a... There's a good hitter out there. The Yankees are going to end up trading for him. A left-handed bat. The Yankees, Steinbrenner's baseball people are telling him, get me Hassey. They didn't trade much. They didn't trade Jay Buhner away for him. In December, Ron Hassey is traded to the Yankees with Porphy, Altamirano, Rich Bordy, and Henry Cotto in exchange for Brian Dayette and Ray Fontenot. That is a United Nations lineup of, of names there, David. The only one I recognize here is Henry Cotto. <laughs> I know nothing of Porphy Altamirano. And Ron plays well in that first season in, in New York. He hits a career-high 13 home runs and has a 296 average. He hit 330 at Yankee Stadium, but only three of his 13 home runs came at Yankee Stadium. So the expected power surge for a left-handed bat didn't really show up at home. At the end of that season in December, he ends up getting traded again by the Yankees with Joe Cowley to the White Sox for Glenn Braxton, Mike Soper, and Britt Burns. But David, I'm looking at this card and it says in 1986, he played for the Yankees. So what happened? That's because in in February of 1986, he was traded by the Chicago White Sox with Chris Alvarez, Eric Schmidt, and Matt Winters to the Yankees for Glenn Braxton, Neil Allen, Scott Bradley, and Cash. I like Cash on there. Hassey said, I'm not real sure what the White Sox are doing. What's nice is that I'm coming back to a team that I did real well with last year. And so, Matt, you ask what happened here. When he was initially traded to the White Sox, the, the Yankees also thought that they would be getting Carlton Fisk in exchange for Don Baylor. But that trade never materialized. So around the time of this trade in December, the Yankees really thought that this other trade was going to go through. They're going to have a catcher. And... It didn't happen, so they find themselves down one catcher. They knew Ron Hassey. They liked Ron Hassey. They already traded for him <laughs> once. They bring him back. An interesting Glenn Braxton, who I think never played in the in the majors, is involved in two of these trades. But we do see Neil Allen. So our old friend Neil Allen is included in the second trade. So for the 1986 line, he ends up playing 64 games, 298, six home runs in a backup role. So just slots in perfectly, but then, wait a minute, gets traded to the White Sox again in 1986. Yes, so he did end up playing in Chicago. It just uh, happened later. In July of 1986, he's traded by the Yankees with a player to be named later and Carlos Martinez in exchange for Ron Kittle, Joel Skinner, and Wayne Tolleson. So that's our, our second card that we've referenced here is the Ron Kittle, and the Yankees ended up sending Bill Lindsay in December of that year to complete the trade. Yeah, it ends up being a very good trade for Ron. He hits 353 in 49 games with the Sox. So combined for 1986, he had a 323 batting average, 406 on base percentage, and nine home runs and 49 RBIs. This is after the 1980 season. This is his second best season hitting, a 140 OPS. Yeah, it was, he was 
really good in that in that initial stretch and playing 113 games a really good output in a, in a very strange season and the change of scenery didn't seem to hurt Ron's production 1987 though some knee injuries start recurring and we see a disappointing season for the White Sox he ends up hitting 214 in 49 games uh, initially when that trade fell through it fell through because Carlton Fisk didn't end up getting traded to the Yankees, which means that when Ron goes to the White Sox, he's behind Carlton Fisk and sometimes behind Ron Karkovice. So he's a third-choice catcher. This is a thing that we don't see a lot of these days. There's not a lot of teams carrying three catchers throughout the season because there's limited space and there's extended pitching staffs. So, you know, in, in the same way that we don't see a lot of pinch hitters, we don't see a lot of third-choice catchers who are just around to catch one guy. With Ron, when he's hitting well, there's a good reason to keep him around as a DH. But when he falls off and is hitting 214, the White Sox decline to pick up his option, and that's why we have a second card. That's right. We have 46T because the Sox decline to pick him up, and he ends up getting signed by the Oakland A's. Now, disappointing, David, that neither card has fun facts this way to the clubhouse or really anything else. Uh, And if I look at the front of 46T, I immediately think that this is Jose Canseco's older brother. He looks like the mean older brother. Not that Jose Canseco doesn't look like a mean younger brother, but this looks like the mean older brother who's, again, got a big cheek full Mouth slightly agape once again. And he's wearing like an undershirt here under his gym class penny. Yeah. I do like the green and yellow A's hat, but yeah, it's not a great look. Mouth slightly agape. Ron Hassey. So here we have a 35-year-old Ron Hassey. I mean, you could just say Jose Canseco's very much older brother. Not looking all that happy about it, but he ends up having a very successful time with the A's. He played a lot more than I expected and for some very good teams. For these dominant three World Series in a row Oakland A's in 88, 89, and 90, Ron plays around 100 games in each of those seasons. He exclusively caught all of Bob Welch's games. So his one-time rival in the College World Series final He's now Bob Welch's catcher. In 1988, he hits 257, dropped off a little bit in 89 and 90, hitting 228 and 213. And while that production dropped off, his pitching partnership with Bob Welch was flourishing. Welch won 27 games in 1990, earned the Cy Young Trophy, so credit to Hassey for calling all of those games. And while he's with the A's, he gets to participate in the playoffs for the first time played in each of the four ALCS games in 1988 in that sweep of the Red Sox, complete games in games two and three, going one for four in game two and three for four in game three with a three-run home run. So hits 500 in that ALCS, pretty good. World Series, game one, he didn't start, but he came in in the ninth inning, in that famous ninth inning. Early in his career, he got his first hit off of Dennis Eckersley, but then later he called the pitch that maybe Eck is best known for. Recently on Instagram, Ron posted 
that he was watching ESPN and they were showing a replay. And he said, why couldn't you have shown the 1989 World Series? <laughs> because they were showing game one and it was Ron Hassey. Mm, mm. Calling the pitch where Dennis Eckersley gives up a home run to Kirk Gibson in game one. But he played all of games two, three, and five. Got an RBI in game three, which the A's won. And then got a single as a pinch hitter in game four. But unfortunately, the A's lost that series in game in five games. 1989, things obviously turned out a lot better for the A's that year. He plays in games two and four of the A's ALCS win over the Blue Jays, but did not play in the Bay Series against the Giants. He did get a ring, though, after 12 seasons in the major leagues. Terry Steinbach ended up playing the entirety of that World Series. So unfortunately for Ron, you know, gets to participate in a parade, but doesn't get to uh, doesn't play on the field in that World Series win. In 1990, he did play in the World Series. He went three for nine in five games in the ALCS and World Series. But unfortunately, the A's lost to the Reds in that in that series. At the end of the 1990 season, he ends up signing with the Expos as a free agent. He's 39 years old at this point, the third oldest player in the National League. Plays in 52 games, 34 of them at catcher as the third of four catcher, catchers on the Expos lineup. So while he is a, a backup, backup, backup catcher, he did earn a spot in the Hall of Fame this season. Ron was behind the plate at Dodger Stadium on July 28, 1991. Dennis Martinez is on the mound. There's 45,000 people in the stadium. And Dennis Martinez puts down 27 batters in a row. Hassey gives all of the credit to Dennis Martinez. But this is Ron Hassey's second perfect game that he's called in his career. So 10 years after he caught that perfect game that Len Barker threw in 1981, Ron Catches a perfect game thrown by Dennis Martinez. His glove gets sent to Cooperstown and is on display. Ron is the only catcher in history to catch two perfect games. And he's also one of two catchers to catch no hitters in both leagues. So this closes the book on a Hall of Fame glove, if not a Hall of Fame career, but 14 seasons in the majors. Hassey hits 266 with 172 doubles, 71 home runs, and 438 RBIs. What about in retirement? Ron went into scouting for the Yankees, later coached for the Rockies, Cardinals, and Mariners. He stayed with the Mariners until the 2009 season and then joined the Marlins organization as a manager with Single A Jupiter. He was promoted up the chain in 2012 to manage the New Orleans Zephyrs, who are now the New Orleans Baby Cakes. Yes. And they have a terrifying King Cake Baby logo. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love a New Orleans King Cake. Yes, they have a mean-looking baby with a with a baseball bat. <laughs> and I'm a new parent. I have not yet introduced my child to a baseball bat. And she's, you know, she was watching the baseball game with me. but It's just a matter of time. Don't give babies baseball bats. That's, <laughs> that's in, it's in the book. At the end of the 2013 season, at the age of 60, Ron Hassey retired from baseball. He said, I'm 60 years old. I've been in the game 37 years. I have my major league pension, and it's just a good time to get out. What I'll do now, I have no idea. I may not do anything. Depends on how I feel. I love that, David. That sounds like what a, that sounds like a mindset a lot of folks should be taking right about now. 
Good job, Ron Hassey. So Ron lives in Arizona with his wife, Jennifer, who they were high school sweethearts. They had three kids who are now all grown, one of whom, Brad, was a first-team all-Pac-10 shortstop at Arizona and was uh, picked in the 19th round by the Blue Jays and played in the minor leagues in the Blue Jays organization for, I think, eight seasons. Ron has an Instagram. Ah, so he's also an influencer in retirement. (laughs) This is Ron Hassey, and the bio is Life After MLB, World Series champ and two perfect games, wine enthusiast, dog dad. Yes. His last post was May 2020. He likes to post about his dogs. I think his dog is named Mickey. He's a rescue dog. He has some old pics from his career, and it looks like he has a pretty nice wine cellar. And on August 12th, 2019, he posted his 1988 Topps White Sox card with the tag, Mean Mugging Monday. So Ron posts a lot of (laughs) pictures of himself drinking wine, hanging out by a pool. He's got a pretty nice life for himself. Yeah, you can say that again. I... I have some big aspirations here to live like Ron Hassey when when I retire. So, David, now I'm looking back. Here's a player that you said at the beginning you didn't really even remember him playing for the White Sox, and he really did for very long. But now looking into him, what do we think about the guy? He had some decent years, but I remember getting this card. Like I have a distinct memory of looking at this card, and he was already gone from the White Sox. And I remember thinking, like, what? Like, you look at this catcher and you're just like, oh, I'd be so excited if it was a Carlton Fisk card, but it's a Ron Hassey card. <laughs> and that season he hit 214 and then he goes to the rival Oakland A's. Come on, Ron. He was often the backup, third, sometimes fourth catcher. Who keeps a 39-year-old fourth catcher around anymore? There's no room for Ron Hassey in modern baseball, and it's unfortunate. He's kind of like Thad Bosley. Most MLB teams wouldn't have space on their roster for Ron Hassey, late career Ron Hassey. But early in his career, he had some really good seasons. And with more regular playing time, might have been an all-star. Some of those 300 and high 290s seasons, it's really good for a catcher in, in the 80s. All that being said, his career was much better and more interesting than 8-year-old me would have given him credit for. Some interesting trades those multiple perfect games, a World Series ring. That's great. And also for his career, he had an offensive wins above replacement of 16.1. I thought that was pretty decent considering he was never really a full-time starter. And it is in the top 50 among catchers with under 1,200 games played. And I mostly just mentioned this so that I can say that the names of players around him include Yank Robinson, Candy Nelson, and Chicken Wolf. <laughs> For all players, all catchers, who played at least 75% of their games at catcher, Ron is 102nd all-time in career wins above replacement. Pretty good. It's a pretty solid career. And he was quite good versus some Hall of Fame pitchers. This goes to the Mark Simon, who he loved to face, combined against Jack Morris, Burt Blylevin, Eckersley, Gaylord Perry, Phil Necro, John Smoltz, and Goose Gossage. He was 62 for 161 a 385 average, and a 984 OPS. So really good against Hall of Fame pitchers. And he has a place in history and a place in the Hall of Fame. He's got two perfect games, a World Series ring, a happy life of wine and rescue dogs. So cheers to Ron Hassey. I hope you're enjoying the pool. 
Couldn't have said it better. Fascinating life and great cards, great story. So thank you, David. We would love your requests. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 1988topspodcast. If your manager was always giving you the extra cleanups at the end of the night, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.